Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Good to see old faces, not as an old, but familiar faces, I should say, and new faces here. So excited for all that the Lord is, uh, is, is doing. Um, yeah, I want to I wanna jump into it this morning and, and give time for, for ministry, but if you haven't been with us the last um, few weeks, we have been really pressing into uh, Pentecost for obvious reasons. We just came out of Pentecost Sunday, and it's been really beautiful. Uh, about a month, we've just been locked into this, and um, I feel today is an appropriate next step. Um, I feel one of the things I really sense the Lord is, is doing right now is God is divinely illuminating the inseparable connection between Pentecostal power and evangelism. I feel God is really highlighting the, um, the, the oneness, the unity there must be between Pentecostal power when the Spirit was poured out and, and evangelism. And in one sense, we see uh, obviously, we've just come out of a, a Pentecostal season, if you will. It's always Pentecost, but it's, it was just on the calendar year. So we were talking about it. But I've mentioned a few times as a church, I'm really excited. We really try to do our best to wait on the Lord and take steps as, uh, as the cloud goes, then we go. <laughs> um, as you see in the Old Testament, as the fire goes, we follow the fire. And, and if it stays, then, then we stay. Uh, and so for a long time, the Lord has just, I feel, really had us building and growing in the revelation of being a house of prayer. Uh, and so, to, so that's, that's the bedrock of what we are. That's the, that's the foundation is leading us to be a house of prayer. But I feel the Lord is now inviting us to take a, a next step, not that we're moving on from something, but now we're building this healthy rhythm of coming in before the Lord to minister to God. So much happens there. And then we go out with the love of God, the authority of God to then go witness on the streets. <laughs> So we minister to the Lord, and then we minister to man. And uh, I've mentioned a few times, over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing more of just some of the, the vision that God's giving us for this, what it's going to look like to start to build in regular um, community evangelism. Obviously, we want to be doing these things regularly on our own, but as a body, we want to we build this rhythm. Behold Jesus, teach people how to come in before the Lord, and then go out and bring his kingdom. It's really simple. This is all that we do here. I feel it's just very like Acts and just the New Testament. Um, but one of the things I want to share really quick, and then we'll jump in the word that we're excited about, because I just want to put this before you so you can mark it down. We have an evangelism week that's coming up. Uh, this will kind of really be like the initial steps to having this more, be more regular in our body. So if you want to write this down, or if you've got a, a memory that's really good, you can go for it. Uh, July 11th to July 15th is going to be evangelism week. We are super excited about this. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. This is, guys, I'm telling you, as we share more God, I feel like this is so in line with the blueprints that God's giving. There's going to be just so much God-ordained activity that will come out of this. And, um, and it's going to start this week will be an important week. So what we have is we actually have a group from the outside that's coming in. This is what they do. They partner up with local churches and as best as they can in a week, just try to saturate the land with the gospel, right? So they're going to be working with us. I don't know. It's a group of how many? What's that? Nine people. Um, so here's what's going to happen. Next week, there will be at the welcome table a schedule of what that week looks like with, with a sign-up sheet because we really want to be organized in this. So I really encourage you guys to sign up. 
Uh, to put it out there, a lot of it will be during the day. We're trying to do some night things, so I know work schedules and whatnot, but that's why I'm telling you in advance. If there's any way even to take a day to be with us, I really believe um, it will be uh, very beneficial. We'll try to do some night things, but we've got, uh, this is going to be door-to-door. We're going to the reservation one day. We're going to the skate park one day. I mean, it's going to be really powerful, and um, we're going to end that Friday, the 15th, we're going to end with an outreach right here in the parking lot. We're going to have worship. We're going to share the gospel. We're going to have the baptism tank set up because people are going to get saved and healed and delivered, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be awesome. So the more we have going out, just just know, like, God has been priming us for, for all of this, and... Um, it's just the right step. The Lord is saying, now I want you to do this. So, um, so yeah, next week we'll have a sign-up sheet, and I hope you guys uh, sign up and get a part of it. And then from there, we'll talk more about what it's going to look like on a regular basis for us as a, as a church, all right? So, I, again, I just feel that the Lord is really stirring us to see, in light of where we've been the last few weeks, that evangelism void of power is no longer optional. We, we, we need to see the power of God, not for any like selfish reason, but it's so biblical, it's so necessary. Um, what God does, how God wants us to move in power for the sake of also confirming his word, what we preach. Jesus is alive. <laughs> and when we go and preach that new life is here and then we go and lay hands on people and they get set free, it declares, it, it authenticates the message that Christ is alive. And for too long, Religion is built, we say this often, religion is built around a belief that God is both impersonal and powerless. That is the essence of religion. You can't know this God, and he doesn't speak. He doesn't move. He doesn't do anything. He is theory alone. And we are contending to show the world God is alive. <laughs> God is alive, and he's for them. And I believe there's a part where we hunger and cry out for like God touch and pour out, but there's another part where we go and things get activated in that sense too. So just be ready. Like some of you may not even realize God has deposited things. <laughs> and then as you go out and sense Lord saying, do this, you're going to do it. And it's going to be like, boop, the thing's just going to burst. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be good. I once heard it said this way. Uh, Man, someone said this, but the Hell's Angels, when they move into a community, no one, um, you don't have to ask if they're in that community or not. Their presence is felt, right? As, as born-again believers, the presence, the presence of a spirit-filled community, that thing should be felt. <laughs> it should be, man, there's, there's a people that are, are alive and, uh, and sharing the good news. So that's what we're going to do. So I hope just encourage all of you. My heart's been like warmed with encouragement this week of what God is going to do. I want to share a passage that I think will encourage us in that. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see where the Lord takes us and pray from there. So Acts 4, if you guys can turn with me there. Acts chapter 4. So Acts 4 is going to be... Um, home base for us today and then from here we'll launch out into a few different scriptures that confirm things that we're reading along the way but this is where we're going to keep coming back to um yeah acts chapter four i'm so excited <laughs> let's do it all right so i know a lot of you know the background of the story but just to make sure we're on the same page because it's really important again i want to encourage us to see the need for the the coupling together of pentecostal power and evangelism that's the whole point that's what the empowerment's for. 
And this, the background story of, of Acts 4, where we're picking it up, is you have to go back into chapter 3. Now the Spirit of God has come, it's, it's fallen, it's been poured out, whatever word you want there, they've been immersed, baptized. And Peter and John in Acts 3 go to the temple at the time of prayer, because good things happen at the time of prayer, and they go there to pray, and uh, they see a lame man outside the temple. And now this is actually, now, well, this is very significant. The healings are now happening outside of the temple because the church is now the temple. It's very important. Luke wrote Acts. When Luke uh, began in uh, the Gospel of Luke, it begins in the temple with Zechariah getting a word that he's going to have a child. God's activity was, was restricted to the temple. Why this is so significant is because now we see God moving outside of the temple because the church is the temple of God now, right? So this man gets, it's, it emphasizes, Luke wants you to know something has shifted as he goes into his second book. Now we see God is not just moving within a building, for these people are his building. So Peter goes up to this man who's been lame for 40 years, uh, or 40 plus years. He's, we just know it's, it's somewhere around that. And he comes up, and it's the famous line, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. It's amazing. Freely we've received, freely we give. What I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, rise and walk. And he reaches out his hand. And can you imagine what would happen if we would have witnessed this? Because we need to, because we're going to see this, that a man who was lame for 40 plus years got up. And he did not just limp away, as amazing that would be, but it says he leapt. One of the things that that confirms is a messianic prophecy from Isaiah 35, which says that when the Messiah comes, the lame will leap like deer. So it's testifying that the Messiah has come, the age of the Spirit has come, but it's also testifying to the completeness of this man's healing. He was able to leap after not being able to ever put any type of weight on his feet. Now the verse, that, that, that line I love though, Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but here's what I do have. <laughs> In essence, he says, I don't have this, but I do have this. I have access to a name that makes every power in heaven and earth bow. This is very encouraging for me and very encouraging for our church where we can feel limited because of maybe lack of natural resources. And we say, well, silver and gold, we don't have these things. And God says, you don't have that. But what you do have is you have access to a name that is above every other name. And I want you to know that Peter, what that means then for me is that Peter did not draw from some secret training that we did not have access to. He was not drawing from his apostolic title or position. In fact, we'll find out he was a common man who was drawing from the name of Jesus. How many of you are in Christ here today? <laughs> Every hand, hopefully go up, if not by the end. Come on, Ashley, be, be bold in that. There it is. <laughs> we are, amen. Amen. <laughs> We are, we are in Christ. You have access to this name. Well, you might not have access to certain things, but you have access to the name that's above every other name. When we go out, I feel the Lord is just encouraging me to say, Andrew, you have, you have this name. You have access to this name. And Peter goes and says, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And this man is healed. And what happens is, and we'll come back to kind of highlighting the importance of this, but every time you see one of these acts take place, no one just goes on as business as usual. The crowds begin to gather around now. And as the crowds come around, Peter knows this is the time now to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Word and deed go hand in hand. He's demonstrated it. Now hearts are looking, saying, how has this happened? And Peter says, let me show you how this happened. Let me tell you why. And then he begins to preach Jesus. And you know how many get saved? 5,000. 
5,000 turn their hearts to the Lord when they see a man who couldn't walk, walk, and then hear the gospel presentation with it. So as the masses are gathering around Peter and John, and Peter's preaching this message, a lot of things get stirred up, guys. We don't have time to speak in all these maybe upcoming weeks, but there's going to be great glory, but I also sense, and I don't mean this in like in a doom and gloom, great crisis, because religion just cannot stand a Jesus that cannot be controlled. And so religious leaders hear about this. They didn't mind they were preaching about Jesus probably before this, but once the power of God is demonstrated, everything shifts now. And they come to this crowds and they take Peter and John away. They essentially arrest them. And chapter four is where there's almost this secret informal trial where they're trying to figure out what in the world has happened. And that's where we're picking this up. All right. So I'm in chapter four, verse eight. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, uh, I'm going to read a decent amount. It's a smooth read because Acts is written as a historical narrative, which is story like. So it's, it's very simple to follow along. And uh, along the way, I'm just going to make some points and I have one primary thing I want to share at the end, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait till we share the full, the full picture. Acts 4, verse 8. This is now Peter and John on this, in this informal trial. Then Peter, you guys there, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed... So just stop there for a moment. What Peter is saying, we are on trial right now to understand why this man was healed. That, that's why we're here. He's saying, I understand that you've brought us here to figure out why this man has been healed. Now notice the language. He says a good deed. If you have the NIV or other translations, I like the way it words it. It says an act of kindness. It's very important for where we're going to go today. But what's being demonstrated, Peter is saying, when this man was healed, God was demonstrating an act of kindness. An act of kindness. And so Peter's saying, you want to know why God healed this man, an act of kindness happened, or how, or I should say how this man was healed? Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, very important, he said, who God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now I want you to, I feel the Lord is inviting me to get vision for things that we're going to experience and encounter. <laughs> and as God moves in power, that we're going to have moments where we say, you ask how this has happened, let me tell you. <laughs> now, now, here's what I want you to see, though, that's really important, is that Peter specifically mentions the one who was killed and raised from the dead. Because I want you to know that what Peter is saying is that this man being healed testifies that Christ is alive. Why is this so important? Because here's the thing that I've been grappling with all week that I feel God has just been burning in my heart is why in Acts 1.8 did Jesus say, you're going to wait in Jerusalem and you're going to receive power for what reason? Why do we need power? Why do we need, the God? Why do we need this dunamis power? Why do we need the explosive grace of God, God to clothe us with himself? What, what, what is the purpose? Well, he goes on to say that you would be my witnesses. I want to be really clear here. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. Um, meeting physical needs is so holy, biblical, and necessary to be a new covenant church, okay? So Jesus even talked about the smallest acts of cold cups of water, giving things out like that. Jesus says, I receive it unto myself. It blesses me. I want you to know this is not one is better than the other. We need to meet physical needs. That's a real part of the church. However, what I want you to see is that 
The promise to receive power at Pentecost was not so that we can just give sandwiches out to the hungry. That's very important. We want to do that. It's not one's better than the other, but we need to understand contextually, God did not say you're going to receive power just to meet physical, like earthly material needs, although we do that. How do we know that? Many people in the world, apart from the Spirit of God, are doing that. That's great news, but the power that was poured out at Pentecost was not just for that. It was specifically to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? The primary theme that I've noticed through the book of Acts, you see it often, is that when it says they are witnesses, it's witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Very important. They were to, for, so here's an example. In Acts 1, where they were, when they were replacing Judas, they actually say, we need to find one who will become a witness to his resurrection. Over and over, they're not just witnessing to anything, but they're witnesses to the resurrection. So God says, you need power to witness that I've been resurrected from the dead. Because the, the, the witnessing of the resurrection is the declaration that there is one who actually entered death and defeated it. He defeated the grave. He defeated sin. He defeated everything with it. And with the testimony of the resurrection of Christ is the declaration that there is new life. So when we are witnesses to resurrection, what we're saying is there is one who defeated sin, death, every single grip off of your life, and you can have new life today. But we need power to, one, declare that message with authority, and then we need power to actually demonstrate that this king is alive. Every healing, every deliverance is actually authenticating new life is here. This is why we need the power of God to preach his message and say new life has come. This king is alive and you could be made alive as well. And if you do not believe it, bring this man over here. Watch what happens right here. God is going to set this man free. This is a sign that the king has come. This is why we need, God wants our lives, I believe. This is what I, I, I just, in my heart, God wants our lives to be a perpetual illustration and demonstration that Jesus is alive. And we do that in word and deed. And that's what Peter is saying. This man that was bound it, with his legs not being able to walk, now that he walks, it's because Christ is alive. And you can know him too. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which, have, which has become the cornerstone, and there is no salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I love this. Peter and John probably would have never had this platform to speak before the religious leaders like this unless this man got healed. Like they, they've been brought in now to have a stage to declare the gospel message to these guys. And then verse 13 is one of my favorite, most encouraging verses in all of the scriptures. Please, I want you to be encouraged the way the Lord's encouraging me. <laughs> Verse 13, it says, Now when they saw, this is the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And here is their one takeaway from these, men, from these men's lives. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. <laughs> so they look upon these men's lives and say, Wait a minute. We see the power of God flowing through these men's lives. We see the boldness. They don't back down. And yet they lack skill and training that would be necessary to operate this way. Not only were they astonished, but they recognized one thing. They had been with Jesus. <laughs> and I want to encourage you something. How many of you ever feel like a struggle to go out and be a witness to the resurrection of Christ? 
All right, I'm not raising my hand to get you to raise your hand. I'm raising my hand because I, I feel that at times, right? There are times where I feel ill-equipped. I feel I lack the knowledge. I lack the words. I, I'm, not, I'm not an eloquent speaker. Whatever it may be, there are these thoughts that come in that want to rob me from going out. But here is the good news of verse 13. Are you listening? <laughs> Being with Jesus more than compensates for every deficiency and weakness that you may see in your life. If you feel you lack a knowledge, which we want to grow in knowledge, there is real training, we want all of those things, but if you feel you lack in any one of those things, you know what is the antidote to all of it. Be with Jesus. <laughs> this is why I love the rhythm of the prayer room where we come into behold and then go out because in the prayer room corporately, we are being with Jesus. <laughs> And there is so much that is happening there where God is dealing with things that we don't even realize and that we're going out with his heart and his love and his wisdom. But that's the first thing. Because here, let me share my temptation. My temptation is I want to stay in a lane where I feel very equipped, where I feel very educated for, where I feel very knowledgeable, I feel very prepared. That's the lane I want to stay. And the problem is when something happens, it's not always known if it's God or if it's me. There's a place to really have knowledge, really have training. I've been to school, I'm going to go back to school, that's all real. But I believe God wants to take us and bring us into a lifestyle that goes beyond just lanes where we feel comfortable, where we feel knowledgeable, where we feel equipped for. Because in that, play, that place, now what happens is people from the outside look on and say, they don't have skill for that. They didn't have the training for that. They haven't known the Lord long enough to do that. <laughs> Jesus is with them. How many of you want to live a life where outsiders looking in can only say one thing? They've been with Jesus. Everyone in this room does. Everyone in this room does. So I feel the Lord is inviting me and saying, let's all go. It will be that stepping out of the boat more and more. But in that, we see the resurrection powers on the other side is as we lose our lives. Say, Lord, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna obey you. We're really going to go out and contend for breakthrough, God. We're really going to go out and we're going to share the gospel. We're really going to pray for the sick and the bound. And we're going to trust that you're going to back up your word. And we're going to rejoice when you do it and give you all the glory. And when we don't see breakthrough, we're not going to blame you. Because, Lord, we know that you're sovereign and we know that you're working all things for good. So we're going to get back on our faces and keep seeking you. And we're going to keep contending and keep contending until there's no more breath in our lungs. But we will go forth bringing the kingdom of God. <laughs> So the Lord is bringing us into a place where he wants to stretch us beyond our normal, uh, normal lanes, what we feel comfortable in. Um, actually, you don't need to turn here. Let me just share this one verse. Well, it's, 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 uh, actually, it's three verses. 1 Corinthians 2, listen to what Paul says. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul has a lot of knowledge. What he's saying is, I kept it real simple. I preach Christ, Christ crucified. Why, Paul? Verse 3 says, And I was with you in weakness. <laughs> Paul says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom. I didn't use eloquent words. Why, Paul? He says, <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> but Paul says, Here's how I did come. I preached Christ, Christ cru crucified, and I came in the demonstration of the spirit and of power here's why <laughs> so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God <laughs> Paul said I intentionally I am a Pharisee of Pharisees 
I know the law and word better than anyone else. I could pinpoint every single thing and get you to see it on an intellectual level, which is there's good things in that. But Paul says, I didn't take that route. I, I, I restricted myself to one thing. I preached Jesus, Jesus crucified, and then I backed it up with demonstrations of the power of God so that when God moved, you did not say, way to go, Paul. You said, he is God, and you bow down and worship him. <laughs> That's, so I'm encouraged. We don't need to have silver and gold. We don't need to have all of the, the training and knowledge, although we want to grow in that, but we can go with this name. We go and know that God is going to back this up. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 14. So here's what they say now. I love this. I'm back in Acts 4. Verse 14. It says, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Can you picture this scene for a moment? I just imagine these guys, real stoic, drilling them with questions. And if you read Acts 3, it says the man who was lame, he's leaping for joy, praising God. I, I got to imagine he barely can stand still. And as they're trying to drill these guys, figure it out, there's a man who's never walked before, who's jumping up and down. And they're saying, we don't know what to do with this. We can't deny this. Peter and John, we can come against them. We can try to talk circles around all of their reasoning as to why Jesus is the Messiah. But here's one thing we can't deal with. We don't know what to do with this man who couldn't walk and now can walk. How did that happen? Guys, I, 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 I'm like so encouraged by this passage that God is repelled by the strength of man, but he is drawn by our weaknesses. He's aroused by our weakness. The very thing that I would think disqualifies me from being used by God, God says, that's the very thing that qualifies you. If you would actually embrace your weakness and become childlike, Andrew, you would see heaven touch earth in your life. It's when I have the prideful, what was it? Uh, Heidi Baker's husband, Roland Baker, called it the prideful inclinations to want to rely on my own strength. That's where like nothing happens. But if we're willing to say, Lord, we've got nothing. <laughs> You've got to move. Lord says, that's what I'm drawn to right there. The weakness of man is where my strength is made perfect. So they have nothing to say in opposition. They can't say anything about this man. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another. So they send Peter and John away. And this council of Sadducees and other religious leaders begin to have an internal dialogue is what's happening. In verse 16, here's what they say. What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. We can't oppose it. We can't deny it. Verse 17. A few more verses here. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John agreed. Kidding. That's a joke. I'm seeing if you're following along. <laughs> Peter and John did not agree. Peter and John. <laughs> that, is a, that is the wrong translation. Listen carefully. Now that I got your attention, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Now listen to this verse. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now the way some translations put it is, we cannot help ourselves. They're actually saying we are so compelled, we can't stop. <laughs> now, 
What that tells me is these men, they lived without any other option than consistently being witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. They could not even comprehend a lifestyle that would allow for turning that switch off. Now, if I'm honest with myself, and I'm, I want you to hear me, because this is not in any means condemned, but like for myself or anyone, I can at times, I notice I can turn that switch on and off. There are times where I can bear witness to that verse. There's other times where I feel like I can shut it down and I don't feel like I need to declare the witness to the resurrection of Christ. And I feel the Lord is not condemning but inviting us to be so immersed in him like these men that we too will say we are so compelled by what we have seen and heard that we must go out and tell people what we have seen and heard. It's, it's an invitation from the Lord. I believe God wants to adjust our lives to such a degree that we are so immersed in him that we too are seeing and hearing as they did to the point that we say, I must go out. I must share what the Lord is sharing to me. And then verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Now listen carefully, because of the people. Now it was distorted. They had fear of man and they wanted the praise of man, but look what, they, look what happened. They wouldn't punish them because of the people, for all were praising God. That's not just some empty worshiping with your lips and your hearts far. This is a sign of hearts are turning to God. All are praising God, worshiping God. Why? For what had happened. What happened? A man who couldn't walk for 40 years is now walking. And then verse 22 says, For on the man whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So I want to just hone in on, on something here for the last few minutes. The, the end conclusion is that when they saw this man healed, the, the end result was all praised God. All began to turn their hearts to God. In fact, as I mentioned before, Acts 4.4 tells us that 5,000 gave their hearts to the Lord. 5,000 gave their hearts When they saw this sign and they heard their gospel coupled with it, they began to turn. And I believe the Lord is telling us that not contending for kingdom breakthrough, God's signs, wonders, miracles that authenticate the message, is to withhold opportunities for people to believe that Jesus is alive. The Lord had to say, Andrew, get over yourself. (laughs) Get over fears. Get over rejection. Because you're actually robbing them of an opportunity to see that I'm alive. So go. And declare my word, and then do what I've asked you to do, and I will back it up. (laughs) And so 5,000 gave their hearts to the Lord. And here, I think, is where I started, and I want to, this is where I want to close out for the last few minutes, what contributes to so many turning their hearts. Look at verse 9 again in chapter 4, Peter's words. If we are being examined today concerning an act of kindness done to this crippled man. 5,000 turned their hearts to the Lord because an act of kindness was displayed to this man. Do you guys know what Romans 2.4 says? It is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. Now we know in the climactic expression of that, we see the cross. But the cross, what it paid for was ripple effects to come out from that. Jesus dealt with the, the penalty of sin, forgiveness, and the effects of sin, which is the brokenness in our bodies and minds. And every time God touches someone to heal or deliver, it is an act of kindness. And what you find scripturally is that when God heals, delivers, and sets people free, 
Oftentimes, there is a mass returning to the Lord because the kindness of God is drawing man in repentance back to him. When we step out and lay hands on the broken in the ways that we've expressed and, res- and see God restore people, God is he's, he's opening his heart up to them. Acts of kindness, what, kindness, this is when God restores a body physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it may be, spiritually, relationally, it's not just God showing off. These are expressions of his own goodness and kindness towards them. And what happens is when we see that kindness, it starts breaking down the walls of rebellion and hostility in them, and they begin to see that there is a God that is really for them. So the scriptural pattern, I'm going to show you a few scriptures, we're going to close this out, but I want you to see the testimony of the scriptures. When God moves in power, when God calls people to repent and turn to him, what you'll often find is the catalyst is some type of supernatural inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Once that happens, people's hearts now are primed to put their faith in him. Because here's the other important part with this. The kindness of God leads man to repentance. Repentance, the word that's used often is turning to God. It's a change of mind, heart, will, and you turn to God. You can't turn to God, though, without faith in God. It's very important. The part of repentance, if you just turn from something, there's not a true repentance. You have turned from something, but in order to turn to God, that's an expression of faith in God. Over and over, the coupling of repentance and faith is everywhere. Mark says, repent and believe in the gospel. You must have the full repent and believe. Hebrews 6, verse 1, talks about the initial teachings, the the foundational teachings. The first two, repent from dead works and faith towards God. It's one thing. In order to really turn from something and turn to God, you need faith. Well, when God shows himself through restoring broken bodies, broken minds, delivering people from satanic possession... What you have is faith begins to rise in the hearts of people because they're seeing the God who is alive and therefore you'll find many hearts are given to the Lord through that. Does that make sense? So I want you to see that the power of God coupled with his message, it's not optional. It's actually going to that much further till the ground for hearts to turn to the Lord. In fact, Acts 3 that we're reading right now Once this man was healed and the crowds came around Peter, do you know what Peter's primary message was, Acts 3.19? He said, repent and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In other words, the healing opened the door for people to turn to the Lord. And 5,000 did that day. (laughs) Do you know that oftentimes I've noticed now after doing deep study in Acts several times, Whenever the church was breaking into a new region, do you know what's one of the first things that would happen? God would move in power. He would go into a dry, hard region, boom, drop a bomb. Someone would be just like resurrected from the dead, healed. Whatever was a sorcerer who was counter to God got saved. And all of a sudden, everything started being shaken in that town. All this stuff started coming up. And the crowds began to come around and they would begin to say, you want to know how this happened? This is Jesus. Now, some would reject because signs, wonders, miracles, the inbreaking of God's kingdom does not guarantee belief, but it makes it impossible now to ignore. Once they get touched, you, you, can still, you can still reject it, but you cannot ignore it. You will either have to fall on your face and say, this is God, or you will have to adamantly come against them and try to arrest these men, which is what happened. Listen, these, when these, when these uh, uh, miracles may break in, we're not talking about regions of the Bible Belt, 
right? Quoting what I'm talking about, deep in the South. The Bible Belt's a beautiful place, nothing against that. But these guys weren't breaking into Bible Belt regions where everyone had an understanding of who God was. They were breaking into regions that were steeped in immorality and idolatry. Temples where the, where the praise of the goddesses was to have sex with the prostitutes in Ephesus. You're talking about darkness hovering over lands. God, what's the strategy to awaken people to see that what they're worshiping is the false God and that you are the real God? I'm going to come and move in power. And then I'm going to have the message declare or, or come up and, and confirm that it is me that is alive. Over and over and over. I, I believe one of the things the Lord has shown me is how is a land like Mastic Beach? Mastic Beach is a pretty tough land, guys. I grew up here, so that's not anything. But it's, forget that. Long Island is a hard land. You've probably heard it said before. I, I know I've mentioned it. It's considered the pastor's graveyard. Like, it's, it's a spiritually hard ground, spiritually resistant. I either find there's complete rejection or it's steeped in Catholicism, which, which is there, there's, there's this idea, but man, there's just not an active relationship with the Lord. How do you break into that? I believe God is saying when we go out, God's going to break in with the power of God. And it's going to awaken hearts. It's going to awaken hearts of the true living king. Amen? All right. I'm going to give you a rapid fire a few verses that support what I just said. How miracles drive repentance. And this backs up the word. And um, yeah, and then we'll, we'll close it out. So come with me to Acts 9, please. Get ready. Get your Bible ready. We're literally going to bounce a few different places. I just want the testimony of Scripture to encourage you. Acts 9, I'm going to look at verse uh, 34. Almost drank my cap. I would need a miracle right there. All right. So I could take you to many places I'm sure you'd be familiar of, like Acts 19, Ephesus. I want you to see in the most subtle of places, this theme of miracles driving repentance, faith in God is everywhere. So here's one scene in Acts 9. You've got... Uh, Peter is heading to a city called Lydda. And he comes in there, and the first thing it mentions, and, and I'm in like verse 32 to 35, I won't read all of them, but he, there's a man named Aeneas who is paralyzed for eight years. This is the first thing. Peter comes into a city, Lydda, first thing it mentions, paralyzed man. Here's what happens, verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Now look at verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, meaning the man who was once paralyzed, now walking, and they turned to the Lord. The whole idea, it's weak faith to like, see that? That's not scriptural. It's not scriptural to see God move it. No, this stuff elevates faith. A whole city that was bent on worshiping false gods, the moment a man who was paralyzed walked, the whole city turned to God. The whole city repented and said, he is the living king. We've now seen him. Look just into the next section. Uh, again, I'm not reading all of it, but starting in verse 36, right from um, Lydda, Peter goes to a town called Joppa. And there's a woman there by the name of uh, Tabitha, also Dorcas. Well, she falls ill and she, uh, she actually dies. And Peter is actually going to be used by the Lord to resurrect her. Look at verse 41. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And I'm sure in that, probably shared, Jesus has done this. We know this from other texts. Jesus did this, guys. Verse, look at verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, 
and many believed in the Lord. Many hearts turned again when they saw this dead woman alive. How could you not? Um, let's go to uh, Mark 6. I told you we're going to bounce a few different places. Mark 6. Mark 6, uh, um, verse 12. This is Mark's account of sending out the 12. Listen very carefully to the connection here. Mark 6, verse 12. So they, meaning the 12, went out and proclaimed that people should repent. We spent two months on repentance. I want to be clear. They were not saying, come and have a really sad altar call. Um, um, repentance can bring up emotions that, that there's a real part in that to be clear I mean there's a real part we love God so when our hearts our lives are out of alignment there's real emotions but that's not the fullness of repentance he's he's saying everyone shift everyone turn because the king is here how would they get people to get to give their lives to this message of turning to the Lord look at verse 13 and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them can you picture this? They're going around saying, everyone, turn to the Lord. Everyone, turn to Jesus. The king is here. And I just imagine as people are listening to this, they're like, bring the sick here. Laying hands. Leprosy is going. Lame, lame legs. Eyes are opening up. They're saying, look, turn. Jesus is here. The king is here. People that are bound, shackles on them, as they said, in the, in the tombs. Bring them here. Pray for them. Sound mind. Everyone's saying, how did this happen? Jesus is alive. He's here. Do you think everyone said, that's nice to keep moving? <laughs> Some were filled with rage, but others fell on their face and said, truly, Jesus is alive. Here's another one, Romans 15. Again, we're looking at this connection of God's miracles, his inbreaking of the kingdom and, and people turning to the Lord. Romans 15, verse 18, this is Paul. Romans 15, 18. I love it. That's one of the most beautiful sounds, the sounds of turning pages of the Bible. <laughs> we, need a, we need a soundtrack of just that. All right, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Stop. What does that mean, bring Gentiles to obedience? That means they turn to God. A people, Gentiles were described as being lawless, and Paul is saying they're now being brought into obedience to God. They're following after God. Paul, how did you bring those that were called lawless into obedience to God? How did they turn to God and put their faith in God? Look what he says. I brought them to obedience, what Christ did through me, by word and deed. Word and deed both go hand in hand. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He's saying every region I go into, both word and deed. And what happened is we saw a mass of the Gentiles come into faith by seeing both of these things. Amen? Here's another one. I'm going to just tire you guys out with this. Come to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14. This one's really interesting. I want you to come to verse 24. This one's a little bit different, but it's also, it's, it's, not, it's not that different. This is, 
the tail end of the gifts of the, the Spirit, the manifestation gifts, I want you to hear, I'm in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24. Look what Paul writes. Verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters. Okay, stop. So now you've got a gathering. Do you know our gathering is primarily a gathering of the saints? Okay. Uh, this is not evangelistic gathering. Invite the lost, but we're actually here to be trained up and edified in the word to go out and do the work throughout the week, right? So it's saying in the midst of a company of saints where the gift of prophecy, God is manifesting himself through divine utterance. If an unbeliever who has no idea about God comes into that setting and hears God supernaturally showing himself through the gift of speech, here's what will happen to the unbeliever. Keep reading verse 24. He is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Oftentimes, we, we've created theology to say we don't want to see the gifts moving. I actually think a lot of it's rooted in the fear of man. We're afraid people won't stay. And that happens, but guess what happens here? Someone comes in and says, oh my goodness, God is really here. God is really here. God is moving mightily. The, the miraculous intervention of God causes people to fall and worship God. All right, one other really big one, Matthew 11. This is the key one. And um, yeah, I don't know if we'll have time to go in anymore. We'll see. Matthew, Matthew 11. This one is so good. Matthew 11, verse 20. This is, uh, we're going to see Jesus' own words in here, okay? Big theme, power evangelism. We need Pentecostal power of evangelism. Why? Because it creates opportunities for people to really turn their hearts to the Lord. Now look at verse 20. This is, this is going to get into Jesus' own words. It says, Then he, meaning Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. What are mighty works? Healing, deliverance, raising people from the dead, all those things. That's where his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. So Jesus began to denounce many cities where he did most of his mighty works because they did not repent. Let me read this through and then we'll, we'll break it open. Verse 21, here's the cities that he's denouncing. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Beth to Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Sodom would have repented. Verse 24, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, there's not enough time to unpack all of this. You may have more questions and answers at the end, and that's okay. But I want to give you just uh, three main observations here. Number one, we see from the first verse that he's denouncing cities because he did mighty works there, many, and they did not repent. That tells us that although there are many purposes to God moving in power, the primary purpose 
of God moving in power is so that people would turn to him, put their faith in him. It is unto repentance. That's the first observation. So when we go out, we're not trying to show ourselves and prove ourselves we're Christians or I don't know, anything weird like that. It's actually so that people can see God is real and put their faith in him. All right, we've, we've been laboring on it. Here's the second observation that really blessed me. Read verse 20 again carefully because this so rocked me. It says, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Where most of his mighty works had been done. Now think about this. Everywhere Jesus went, he did mighty works. In fact, John 21, 25, he kind of uses, I think, a little bit of a hyperbole, but he says, if we recorded all of the mighty works of Jesus, there wouldn't even be enough books on the earth to record it. The scriptures only give us a glimpse into all that Jesus has actually done. However, what this is saying is that there were certain cities where even though he did mighty works everywhere, they became a hub where he did most of his mighty works. There were actually certain places on the earth where Jesus concentrated the inbreaking of the kingdom. And where were those places? Not places of faith, but places that were in unbelief. The reason he actually did most of his works in these cities is because they didn't believe and he performed them so that they would believe. These works are actually not in response to someone's faith, although we see that in the scriptures. These works are actually to stir faith. But he says, but you didn't believe. But that tells me that one of the ways, according to Jesus' ministry, if you see a city that's in unbelief, Jesus says, go out in power. That's what I did. Cities that weren't believing, that's where I did most of my mighty works to try to awaken them but they did not believe. Isn't that incredible? You know what that also tells me? I, I, sometimes I'd wrestle with, should I first share the gospel message and then like back it up? But a lot, I don't think there's an order, but this tells me that it's okay if someone doesn't believe in the Lord, like God will break through in their life for the sake of now saying, how did, my le- how did this happen to me? And now you say, this was Jesus. So you don't need to wait for them to have faith in Christ to say, well, God's not gonna touch you like that. No, it's his kindness that's leading men to repentance. His kindness, every act is an act of kindness that's awakening them. The third observation, this highlights the transformative power of mighty works. For what cities would have turned if they saw these things? Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. Now, I know just about everyone here probably knows of Sodom. We all know Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, it becomes like the the quintessential picture of lawlessness immorality. And God says, if they saw the things that I did here, their hearts would have turned to me. Think about that. What would happen in a city like this? (laughs) What would happen to Long Island to see these things? God says the most wicked city that's almost become synonymous with rebellion, if they saw these works, their hearts would have been given to me. He says Tyre and Sidon, the roots of Tyre and Sidon, they were, um, this was a city that when Israel was coming into the promised land, God told the tribe of Asher to take them over and they did not. So uh, Tyre and Sidon basically became a thorn in the flesh of Israel. They constantly were bringing them into the immorality, worshiping their gods. In fact, Queen Jezebel, um, who was ultimately like the most wicked king, uh, queen of uh, Israel, 1 Kings 16.31 says that she was the princess of Sidon. So you've got a history of immorality. God says that place would have repented and turned to me if these mighty works were done. I don't know, that's just amazing. <laughs> That really emboldens me to say, all right, Lord, we're going to go for this. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things in this <laughs> scripture. He says it'll be more bearable in the day of judgment for those cities than cities that saw mighty works and did not repent. 
You know how often I've heard people come against the move of God in this way? I want you to just be clear. Sexual morality, those things, those are, those are counter to God. But if we actually want to look at what the scriptures say, God said it would be more tolerable for Sodom that was characterized by sexual sin than for a city that saw the works of God and said it was the devil and said this is not God. Think about it. Do you know the religious spirit that's around right now? Anytime God moves in power, the first thing I usually hear is this isn't God. This is false. This is fake. Are there things that happen? Yeah. But I've got to, we have more faith, I see, for Satan to do power than for God. Wow. What's happened? Th this, this actually says, be careful. If God starts moving in power and people start saying, devil, devil, God says, you're denying, my, you're denying the spirit that is actually drawing people to me. This is why you can't, this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why does the scripture say you can blaspheme the Son of Man but not the Holy Spirit? Not because one is greater, but Jesus says, everything I do is by the Spirit. So if you blaspheme the spirit that's drawing men and awakening men to me, there is no place of forgiveness because that's how I'm causing forgiveness. <laughs> so. No. <laughs> this is really important, guys. Um, we, again, we want to, there's things to test out. But, man, we need, to, we need to reclaim biblical Christianity, the power of God. <laughs> um, Mark, if you uh, wouldn't mind just throwing something on for a sec. Man, there's a lot of, a lot of life on that. Yeah. I am going to share something very quick, one other text, and then we'll, we'll close it out. 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. Because actually, I feel like this, um, this passage of Scripture is it's almost a great summary of what's going on, I think, in in the nation in many, in many ways, in the city, on the island. Man. You know, Acts 10, I'm going somewhere else for a second now. Uh, Acts 10, it talks about how Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Who were oppressed by the devil. What was, how was the devil oppressing people? Sickness. Do you know for the first thousand years, the church had a view that sickness and death and all these things, these were works of the devil. Jesus said, the Son of Man has been manifested to destroy the works of the devil. But somewhere over the last thousand years, we've begun to buy the notion that God is the author of these things. But if you look scripturally, you'll find that it's always attributed to Satan. The woman who suffered for 18 years, who couldn't stand straight, Jesus healed her. It says she was afflicted by the devil. Over and over, this is attributed to. Again, I understand why don't we always see things. I don't understand all the reasons, but I do know this. I'm going to stand on the side of the scripture, which attributes that these things are the works of the devil, and Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And the only thing I see Jesus doing is setting captives free and leading people into faith in him. Last portion of scripture, 1 Kings 18. I'm going to pick it up in verse 36. I know a lot of you are probably familiar with this. 
This is the scripture with Elijah challenging the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And Israel had gotten way off track, false worship. And I love Elijah. I believe, I believe man, we, let's pray today for a spirit of Elijah, like the anointing of Elijah to rest on this house. Because Elijah says, no more. We're going to draw a line in the sand. Let's make a decision today. We're going to worship God or we're not going to worship God. And here's what Elijah does. He says, let's go up onto this mountain. Think about the boldness of this man. He brings all the people, all the prophets of Baal. They'll, they'll kill this man in a second if this doesn't go well. Let's go on Mount Carmel. He says, you make an altar, I'll make an altar. We'll both make sacrifices, and then we're going to call unto our gods. You call to your god, I'll call to my god, Yahweh. We'll ask one to send fire from heaven. Whichever one sends fire from heaven is the true living God. He actually raises the stakes, lets them do a regular. He dumps buckets of water into his thing. He's going to call them fire. He dumps buckets of water. He is so bent on them saying, if, if, if this is God, I want you to know this is God. So here's where we pick it up. After the prophets of Baal have been cutting themselves, crying out, nothing. And Elijah says, now it's my turn. In verse 36, Picking up kind of midway through, it says, Elijah the prophet came near and said, listen carefully, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. I, don't be, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations like this with the Lord. <laughs> Lord, I want it to be known that you are the God of Israel and that you sent me, Lord. And that the words that I declare are yours. So would you not back this up, God? And then he says in verse 37, Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Listen why. That this people may know that you, O Lord, the God, and that our, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back to them. He says, I pray, God, that when this fire falls, they will know that it's you. And it's going to, what, turn their hearts. That's Repentance. He's saying if this fire falls, they're going to repent. They're going to give their hearts to you. You've got to send the fire, God. I'm sure Elijah spoke in word, but there are some times where debate and, and reasoning is not enough. Debate and reasoning is very important. Paul went into synagogues reasoning. We need to do that. But there are times where debate and reasoning say, okay, you've heard my point, but now I want to show you that Jesus is alive. I, I, this, I feel like this is the standstill that we're seeing in our culture right now. There is, there is like, we're just deadlocked. There's a logjam. Man, we don't believe in God. We're turning from the Lord. And it's the spirit of Elijah resting on a spirit-anointed people, saying, let me show you Jesus is alive. Some don't want it, but many will say, he is alive. He is real. So verse 38 says, then the fire of the Lord fell. Yes, Lord, we pray. We pray your fire would fall, Lord. I pray over every person in this place, God, that the tongues of fire would rest on them, Lord. God, that when they go out, Lord, I pray that these signs will follow those who believe, God. Lord, that they wouldn't even have to go looking for anything, God. They would simply follow, God, as they put their faith in your word, God. I pray, God, would you fill again right now? Would you fall freshly on people, Lord? We ask for your fire to fall, God. I pray in advance right now for hearts that we're going to encounter, people we're going to see, Lord. Would you prime their hearts, O oh God? Lord, I thank you, God, for the standoffs that will happen. Not in arrogance. We're not coming in, Lord, in pride, God. We're not coming to hurt people. But in love, God, we will be bold to who you are, God. 
In love, God, we will demonstrate that you're alive. In love, we will let your acts of kindness be released through us, God. Lord, we're making a decision today that we will not put our own fears above your glory, God. Lord, help us to get low that you would be lifted high. Let your fire fall. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now look at verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. These were people making sacrifices to other gods, and in a moment they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Ramana na 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 ye